we have a special offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our AG magazine for 12 months for just $62.99 and save 30% on the newsstand price. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $62.99. You'll find our special subscription offer at australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Hi, I'm Angela Heathcote and this is Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. Today, I'm talking to Veena Sahajwala. Veena is also known as the Waste Queen and you probably remember her from the highly successful series War on Waste. She's a uni professor and an engineer trying to fix Australia's waste problem. We'll be talking about her beginnings in India and her work on the world's first e-waste microfactory. So I'm thrilled to be talking to Veena on this episode of Talking Australia. Welcome, Veena. Thank you, Angela. Um, so when I first kind of, when I first heard Veena's name, it was um, when I was watching The War on Waste, which was this ABC program that revealed two important things. One how bad some Australians, including myself, are with with recycling, and two, how big the recycling or waste crisis is in Australia. But I guess the first question is, what is the waste crisis in Australia? Like, what what do we mean when we say that? You know, how big is the crisis? Mm. Well, I mean, you you can, you know, kind of really look at it this way and say, you know, waste is, at the end of the day, a valuable material or a product. It's just that we don't know how to recognise its value. And that, in a nutshell, means that if we don't recognise its value, then it gets thrown away. So for the average, you know, consumer, they don't necessarily understand, you know, how end-of-life products and materials um, will be dealt with. I mean, I know we all sort of put away our things in our yellow bins and red bins, but the realities are that's only the beginning of the journey. Um, it may not ever be recycled, which I'm sure a lot of people through the conversations during this waste crisis mm, realized. I feel, I feel like the war on waste kind of <laughs> um, people were shocked, like, oh, yeah. my God, it's different from council to council. Oh, my God. Yes. The, um, the recycling bin doesn't always go in like to the uh, doesn't always go into recycling. Yes. And- yes. And I, and I thought I was recycling. But oh, what? It was being sent to China, you know, like. I mean, it was almost, um, you know, a horrifying experience for a lot of people to find out. Things. Yeah, yeah. And I think speaking of the, the China ban, um, I guess that's when the waste crisis kind of reached crescendo. Can you kind of go into that? Because I know that happened in twenty eight, the beginning of 2018, correct? Yeah, look, absolutely. When the ban came about, it was pretty much not exactly a ban. You can say, strictly speaking, they just made the guidelines really strict. Right. So, so when you say guidelines really strict, how different were they from what they were previously? Yeah, so they really, really define the level of cross-contamination to be a value that is really strict compared to what it used to be before. It meant that before you could have mixtures of different types of plastics and a bit of cross-contamination with paper and labels or what have you, whereas now, if you really sort of say that there's a really strict guideline, it means that pretty much what they're really saying is give us nice, clean stream of plastics 
and we're happy to take that. The minute right. it is contaminated with something else, we don't want it. Don't okay, and it how, how well have Australians done in that area with, um, you know, the clean recyclables? Well, I guess this is the thing, right? I mean, it, the practical realities are that if you look at your yellow bin, for instance, we all know that there'll be, you know, different types of plastics and glass and paper. So the level of cross-contamination is going to be there. Yes, fair enough in some products, like you can imagine your water bottles, for instance. Um, you can imagine a nice, clean, segregated stream of materials that you could then identify and say, this is the PET bottle that you can nicely sort of categorize. But you know what? When it is that nice and clean, we're probably better off saying, you know what? Let's start to look at manufacturing right here if we can make it here why not yeah um why just give away all the good stuff and then kind of go we're left with all this cross-contaminated mixtures and there's really where the challenge begins is life is never as simple as just a nice single plastic bottle right there are mixtures and following the china ban do you feel in your opinion has australia stepped up its game and kind of um facilitated for that change or are we kind of in a in a way stagnating a little bit not stepping up no you know what i have to give credit to just about everyone who's been part of that equation and that whole ecosystem whether it's really you know the local government state government businesses big and small companies really everyone stepping up and going you know what if we can be a part of that solution uh let's get on with it so i've had so many people who've come in and visited us at the smart center at UNSW and have basically looked at our micro factories looked at the kinds of solutions we have so i think we've all sort of you know it's it's kind of being a call which i think has been a good thing mm. um for everyone and everyone's kind of stepped up and gone what can we do Mm. And you've been responsible for a lot of the innovation behind how to fix the waste crisis. I want to go back to that because I've read a lot of articles that refer to you as, you know, the rubbish queen and this lady who's obsessed with waste. Where does that come from? Where did that all start? Oh, <laughs> it's really uh, nice to hear that description of me because that, that probably is about right. Or you could also call AKA the hoarder Vina because she doesn't <laughs> like to throw away anything. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, look, it, it's really come from maybe part of it has been the fact that you know I was born in mumbai um and mumbai of course is that classic sort of industrial you know capital of india you know just about everything gets made over there and so i actually love the whole buzz around you know being able to take all kinds of materials but looking at how it could actually be manufactured into a product i love the fact that there are all these resources whether they come from our waste or not the fact that we can in fact create a whole new economy that could be built on potentially transformation of waste by manufacturing valuable materials and products is what gives me the absolute buzz because i can look at stuff and i can go now there are things we could make with this uh, the science has to be proven but you know there might be enough theory that i think we could be thinking more deeply about how that theory could be translated into practice right and when was the first instant instances that that kind of you kind of got the chance to put that to practice mm. so um so i just remember um back in the early days one of our first projects at UNSW was 
our green steel project. And with green steel, we've basically shown now, uh, fast forward uh, a decade uh, later, that we can actually successfully use waste tires in the process of making steel. But in fact, in the early days, um, when, when this was a concept and you could almost sort of say, a crazy person's weird dream of, you know, using tires in the process of making steel. One of the things that, you know, I really wanted to be able to prove is that you've got, um, you know, the ability to produce clean gases like hydrogen from waste tires. So the fact that you could reform waste tires in the process of making steel and produce these clean gases from a waste resource, I mean, it's so counterintuitive that how can you actually have a clean gas like hydrogen coming out of waste tires? But the fact that, you know, we could in fact show that it added value and benefit to a steel making operation uh, really gave me that buzz because we proved that science in our labs at UNSW. And I think to me, even to this day, it sort of gives me a bit of goosebumps when I think about it because <laughs> it just shows that, you know, when you first make that important discovery and you talk about that process of reforming, in this case, waste resources, into something that you never thought would have been possible, yeah, mm. even though in theory you know there's enough hydrogen in waste tires, but how do you know that in practice you know, the experiments are not only going to produce that hydrogen and produce those clean gases, but it's actually going to do the high temperature chemical reactions that you want it to do. Yeah. And I, I guess the difference between what you're saying is typically recycling was plastic bottle bees, um, you know, recycled into another plastic bottle. But you're saying plastic bottles recycled into basically anything, <laughs> which is the big difference. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So, you know, we really need to think about, you know, the transformation of waste resources into value-added products very differently. So, yes, where it is possible to convert a plastic bottle into another plastic bottle, absolutely we should be doing that. But when it is not feasible, because it might be cross-contaminated, might be mixtures, might be different mixtures or different types of plastics with glass and paper, in that case, you really need to think about different types of solutions. And I guess that's where I get excited, because it's not just a typical you know, kind of that vertical integration model of thinking about business and how the transformation could happen, but in a way thinking about a lateral integration model. So you're cross-cutting across different industrial sectors yeah, uh, and joining the dots in a way that have never been done before ever. So Green Steel is, is a classic example of a of a patented technology that has come out of Australia. Mm. And I want to go back to your appearance on the War on Waste. When you were on the War on Waste, you were working in the UNSW micro factory and you were basically showing the host Craig Rue Castle through um, basically how you can use, um, you know, old iPhones and take out, I guess, the important stuff and um, reuse that. I guess... On that note, I wanted to go into some of the household habits, like, you know, people having six iPhones in their drawers and things like that. What's like the worst hoarding habit you've kind of gone, well, wait a second, that's valuable. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I mean, I, I think, you know, e-waste and electronic waste, as you've picked up, is, is spot on in that category uh, for all sorts of reasons. You know, we're concerned about data security and we don't want to just give away our phones and our laptops. Um, so I think I think all of us, again, whether it's our homes or indeed in our offices, uh, where inevitably all kinds of electronic gadgets are sitting around. And in fact, let's not forget all kinds of ways in which music, <laughs> you know, people used to listen to music before, you know, iPods and everything else. So I think, you know, regardless of whether it's our community, 
communication devices, music devices, and just, you know, even the simple things like printers. You know, just think about, you know, all the simple printers that we have in our homes and our offices. You know, people, of course, hang on to them because you think, no, wait a minute, um, I, I could give it to somebody else to use it. Yeah, that's definitely my <laughs> mentality. Like someone else can have this, you know, yes. one day. Yes, exactly. And we know, of course, that, you know, printers are like, you know, now becoming such consumable items. Um, so the fact that we've just got all of these electronics in our everyday lives, that we just have to accept the fact that, you know, we're going to have to find a different way to reform them. So we're not going to just be able to say, look, you know, my friend, here you go, have my old printer, um, because they might just find that, look, you know what, it's just too expensive to fix it, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if that's the reality of life, then we just have to be able to kind of zoom in and go, I need to be able to understand all these different materials. And if I can actually go back and say, there are some pretty incredible metals on the circuits and and plastics broadly in our electronic devices, and not to mention glass, then you've suddenly got this incredible array of materials. Now, we can either label them as waste, because if they end up in landfill, then, of course, they are waste. But to me, waste is just a material that's kind of been put down, sadly, uh, because we haven't recognized the value in it. And if the minute we recognize that waste is actually a material that's ready to be remanufactured and create a new valuable product, then we'll stop calling it a waste. Right. We'll rather be future forecasting and going, no, wait a minute, that's actually not a waste, but this could actually be coming back to life in the form of plastic filament. So mm. that was an example of what we were demonstrating you know, on the show on War on Waste, where we showed that waste plastics could in fact be converted into plastic filaments, which could then quite nicely be fed into our everyday 3D printers for making products. So we're actually thinking, you know, in a way about what our future needs are going to be. And this is where the transformation of waste into value-added materials and products has to be a far more sophisticated conversation that says, you know what, let's really ask ourselves, what are the kinds of products we're going to need in the future? I'm always curious about people who work in climate change science and um, the waste industry and all the pictures that you would be seeing every day of, you know, whale stomachs full of plastic and just plastic everywhere. And I'm always thinking about, you know, what it's like when your, I guess, your day job is avoiding planetary catastrophe. So how do you kind of cope with that, you know, trying to fix such a large-scale issue. Mm. And, and and that's such an important thing for all of us to kind of be talking about so that we can all play a part. For me, at a personal level, and I think for a lot of researchers um, who are working in the waste industry, you know, whether it's at UNSW or at other universities, I think the important point is, you know, just raising that awareness first and foremost. And and I remember uh, a professor who I met in, in South Australia, and he had invited me to speak at one of the conferences that he was hosting. Um, but also, again, it's about raising that awareness because he had this whole collection of photographs where he was able to just show me pictures. And I think, again, you know, even if you're working in this industry and and you feel really overwhelmed at times, and we all do, we're human beings. Uh, But I think let that not weigh you down. Um, You really have to see that as a way to kind of be, yes, maybe at times it makes you feel a bit angry 
that how do we let it get to become so bad? But I think you almost have to sort of get up and go, you know what? Um, so therefore, I'm going to take charge of the fact that if I can actually go out there and, and talk about the science, the technology, whether it's to communities and to businesses, businesses who would not have thought of themselves as manufacturers. We've got one um, company that has been obviously in the business of collecting these types of plastic waste um, has then set up, you know, a facility, a small manufacturing prototype um, on their site here in Sydney. And I think to me, that's a classic example of how, you know, the work that we do is making a difference in the real world sense where you can have someone who then goes, you know what, I've never done manufacturing before. But if you can help us, you know what, we can set up this module, the micro factory module that we're talking about here. And we can actually give it a go. Mm. And just going into the micro factory, I guess, like, what kind of made you wake up one day and say, I'm going to fix Australia's e-waste crisis. Here you go. It's done. <laughs> what, what kind of gave you the initial thoughts? Oh, look, it's certainly far from being done. And, and I hope we can collectively all at some point in the future kind of all really um, say that we've all played a part on, the, uh, you know, on this journey. Uh, but I guess for me personally, it was a bit about the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, these are all incredibly important materials, whether they are different types of plastics or metals or glass. I think it was really about that recognition that, you know, traditional recycling cannot work in this case. We have to think about recycling in a completely different way. So the journey for me started through, you know, what I'm calling micro recycling. And that micro recycling meant that we had to actually zoom in and look at all of these different materials differently and therefore recognize that you had to be able to transform metals in a different way and plastics in a different way. And that's exactly why, you know, the micro factory is basically a collection of different machines and these micro modules that allow us to transform these different types of materials in electronic ways differently. And what can, what products can you make from iPhones? Yeah, so look, from, from a lot of these types of electronic devices, if you can imagine your plastics, um, metals and glass. So you, you, with your plastics, of course, the ability to produce plastic filaments um, and use that as a feedstock for 3D printing is fabulous, which means what you could ultimately be doing is you could be 3D printing, whether you're in a large city or in a, a small regional town, it doesn't matter. You could actually be um, making these plastic filaments on a small enough scale and using that as a feedstock. So if I'm a, ma a small manufacturing business, I could be making a variety of different products. Uh, that's what a micro factory can be doing things so differently. So the ability to actually make one day spectacle frames, for instance, and another day a phone case, for example, out of these types of plastic filaments and use that for 3D printing. But on the other hand, I could also be making metallic alloys. And the fact that these types of metal alloys, whether they contain copper and tin, are examples of what's possible. Because when you start to produce these really value-added metallic alloys, you could then be exporting that to the world. So think about that whole possibility that you'd be part of this global supply chain in a small regional town, a small producer. 
That's exciting. That's mm. never been done before. I want to go way, way, way back to your beginnings in Mumbai. And I was just really curious about who kind of inspired you um, to go into science, I guess. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> inspiration comes from um, all sorts of places. And I think to me, what I really loved about growing up in Mumbai was all those factories that, you know, people would make things. And I think to me, the inspiration came from the fact that you could have people at the grassroots level, you know, people who are called the kabadiwalas, people who actually collect, you know, waste on the ground. And I think to me, what was so inspiring was, you know, even though they did not make enough money and really part of that social inequity is something that I think about often and how we can actually enable um, better outcomes for people who work as as literally waste warriors uh, in this industry at the grassroots level. But I love the fact that they were so passionate and they wanted to talk about it. I would love as a kid to go in and engage with all of these kabadiwalas. Everyone was collecting different things and they would actually want your secondhand products. So they would actually, yeah, they wouldn't give you a lot of money in return. But I love the fact that they saw value in it. Of course, they had to make money. So they would then go and on sell it to somebody else and so on. But I just love that whole philosophy that mm. everyone was part of the equation. So, so your me- beginnings were kind of doing that as a really young child, like yes. I guess how people take bottles to like a particular depot and get the five cents yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I would love to sit and chat to them. You know, I would just love to have this conversation because I just want to know, okay, so what are you going to do now? You know, where are you going to take it? Obviously textiles and recycling them is a massive thing in Australia. Can we kind of have a chat about that? Because... Uh, from my age, 23-year-old girl, it's a big thing. Like, my wardrobe is full of stuff that, I mean, I'm working on it. I'm determined not to shop for any more new clothes. Mm. A lot of people know about it, but they're not really sure how to, I guess, fix it or how to alleviate it. So what what can we make out of textiles? Yeah, no, look, look, that's a really, really good question because some of the products that we've been making... They look super cool. And we've actually been producing things like acoustic panels. Yes, oh my gosh, I know. that's so weird. <laughs> that is weird, isn't it? Talk about, you know, bringing to life your old clothes in the form of acoustic panels, which means you can still hang on to your old clothes, right? It's just that you're not wearing it. You're yeah. actually still using it. But uh, but that's really the beauty of what we call about going beyond traditional recycling. And so that whole reduce, reuse, recycle, which is the three R's, we're really talking about bringing in that fourth R of reform. So in this case, we're reforming it into a product um, that really it wasn't in its previous life. And that's really what we call micro-recycling the ability to kind of break it down into basic elements and then bring it back up into that macro product. Right. And just, I mean, this whole conversation we've been talking about, you know, what goes through your head when you're thinking about these incredibly complex issues. And also you're an award-winning material scientist with this very decorated background. So I guess what I always wonder about people like yourself is, what does your daily routine look like? Like, what do you wake up in the morning and do? Do you think about the world's problems and then you go to work and solve them? Or do you have, like, a piece of toast first? I'd say that toast, no, does not feature into my, my morning routine. It's, it's straight into the crisis solving. Well, it's it's so, uh, with my cup of coffee, yes, yes. So, in fact, was 
part of that whole coffee drinking routine that got me into one of the projects we're that working on. That makes me on. feel like I can relate to you more now. <laughs> one of the things that we're working on right now, which came about as a result of the fact that coffee as a product has got, end of its life, waste, residue, spent coffee. So why do we look at that as an opportunity so that we can incorporate that into our manufacturing solution? And going forward with the crisis that Australia is currently facing with, you know, um, the China ban and uh, things like that yeah. ahead, what what do we need to do essentially to fix these things? And and exactly what you're doing with, you know, um, textiles and things like that. What, what, what more do we need to do to kind of fix the entire thing? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I think one of the important things which, you know, the state of New South Wales has recently announced uh, the Circular Economy um, Innovation Network. So that's an example where, you know, circular economy can only work, um, and especially when we're talking about innovative solutions, when we all come together and we're all concerned about our collective future. So whether we are, you know, basically a company that's in the business of waste or a manufacturer or indeed an end user, I think we all have to come together. And that's so it'll basically be a forum of people who are getting together and saying, we want to fix this crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And it has to be everyone. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's spot on, that we need to look at it as basically, you know, all of us seeing as playing a part in this whole circular economy conversation. And I think to me it's a fabulous thing that, you know, the state government has obviously pulled together. And I think from my perspective it's a privilege that, you know, we we are going to be, you know, pulling people together in a way and that network is going to enable us to have, you know, that connected conversation uh, that I think in a way everyone wants to be a part of. I, I think everyone who I have asked whether they want to come in and participate everyone's given such an enthusiastic yes so I think mm. to me, it's funny because I feel like people uh, like they want to be a part of it and they hate the idea of plastic everywhere and pollution everywhere they don't like the things that they saw on the war on waste it's just a it, like you said it seems like it's just a matter of them finding a way in look absolutely spot on and you know people people want to do something they want to be able to see how we can create these new pathways because we know business as usual hasn't worked. Mm. So I think also that whole conversation around circular economy coupled with innovative solutions is going to be the game changer here. So we do need end users who should be prepared to say, you know what, I want to be able to use products that are made out of recycled and reformed content. So that's the important part of the motivation. And then for us, we, we are working with, you know, the manufacturing growth sector people who are going, you know what, there are so many manufacturers. I've been traveling the state and really meeting all kinds of incredible people, you know, from Dubbo to Wagga and Aubrey and so on. And I love the fact that everyone wants to be part of the conversation. And the fact that you can actually do something on a local level um, is really something people are excited about because we know Economically, it's not always possible to go, right, I'm going to put all my waste in one big truck and I'm going to send it to this other processor, you know, hundreds of kilometers away. Yeah. People realize that that doesn't work either because it costs a lot of money. Mm. So if you can do things within the local region, I think that's where the conversation of really kind of how do you do things locally. Yeah. So circular economy solutions 
are at various levels. We need to close those multiple loops at all scales. I wanted to kind of go back a little and talk about, um, I know you mentioned that it was about consumer responsibility, but also business responsibility. Mm. I feel like there's been a lot of debate recently about, oh, well, you know, it's 70% um, business responsibility, 30% consumer responsibility. And that a lot of people just feel like, um, I know there's that movement online where people are now taking pictures of Coke bottles at beaches and saying, this is Coca-Cola's responsibility to clean this up or come up with a different way to kind of um, do your products. What's that? I mean, how do you do the percentage of responsibility? Like who's more responsible? Is it kind of, how do you measure it all? Look, I'd be saying, you know what? It's everyone's responsibility. Yes, the producer makes money, but the producer would not be making money if we as users wouldn't be using it, you know? So that's the reality. We are all part of the whole economy and the ecosystem works. It's a complex ecosystem. If you think about the world of business and all of us as parts of that ecosystem, let's face it, we as consumers prop up the world of business. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so we're part of the the whole ecosystem. We should be taking that responsibility, which is why to me the point about extended producer responsibility. Uh, there's no reason why we can't, as users, be talking about our own responsibility. And so if you don't like the way some end-of-life products are being dealt with, go and find out. Mm. Go and ask questions. I'm sure organizations would be happy to answer questions. And look, if they have got schemes for recycling and proper recycling and to be able to do good things with end-of-life products, I'm sure they'd be proud to share that with you. Mm. So I think to me it's more than just, you know, kind of blaming somebody else. So I think to me it's, it should really be about shared responsibility because, again, we're all part of the ecosystem. Mm. You know, we can blame the fast fashion industry for, um, you know, for all the textile waste, but let's face it, again, we as consumers buy it. So I think to me... You know, we've got to first look look at our own habits. We've got to then, you know, go out and find organizations that have got good practices. And this is why I guess, you know, organizations these days um, have got people who have got, you know, they employ people who've got sustainability as their core part of their job. So, you know what, pick up the phone and talk to someone, you know, do it the old fashioned way or look at the website or whatever. But convince yourself that, you know, if you don't know enough around what organizations are really doing, um, then find out more about it. But I think the important point is that let that then inform your choices and decisions that you make. I mean, you know, personally, from my point of view, you know, for health reasons, I, I sort of, you know, really look at every bit of food I consume, you know, in terms of the preservatives and everything else that go into making it. So just like I'll read my food labels very carefully, um, there's no reason why, you know, we can't be looking at that, you know, consumer health report for ourselves um, and how we then can have that broader impact both from a health as well as the health of the planet as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I, I think to me the fact that we're having this really sophisticated conversation here today I'm really so grateful and really thankful because I think to me that conversation has to happen at that whole new sophisticated level. It's not about blaming people or organizations, but, 
you know, I think to me as a country, um, we can take that leadership role and we can show the rest of the world that we love our environment, you know. Uh, we we want to care for our environment. So let's take that conversation to the next level up where we say if we can take these end-of-life products to the right place, you know, when councils have got their collection days, for instance, you know, and they have their collection days, find out what councils are collecting. You know, there are, in many instances, free collection days. You know, just find out and put in that effort and, and to me, that's a part that we can all play. The nice thing is local councils, many of them, yep, they might be different in some instances, but there's an opportunity to play a part. So I think to me that extra effort in terms of not just putting everything in the yellow bins and going, right, my job is done, yeah. or on the curbside collection and going, I don't need to deal with it, I've cleaned up my house. So I guess to me it's a definition, your own definition of your ecosystem. Is it just your own home? Or is it the world around you? Well, thank you so much for speaking to me, Ben, and I hope you enjoy your coffee tonight. (laughs) I sure will. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia with Veena Sahajwala. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks for listening. Until next time.